Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. How to get 30, 30, to get 30, how to get 20, 20, 20, how to get 20, 20, to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month? So, Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. GM, I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. And this is GM GM from from Decrypt. Decrypt. All right, Jeff, Andrew Yang today. Very pumped. Good get. Indeed, yeah. I think this is our first big league politician, Dan. And so we've had, you know, SBF leading entrepreneurs, but it's neat with with Andrew Yang. He's a quirky guy. I just remember the big math button he wore in the presidential <laughs> debates. And now, of course, he's into crypto and started a DAO to lobby DC. So I can't wait to dig into that. It's the perfect time to talk to him. I mean, you're right. Like SBF has testified in front of Congress twice. So these worlds are converging, the worlds of crypto entrepreneurs and builders. Like you can no longer just run a crypto company or crypto exchange and stay out of this stuff. Increasingly, you're edging toward DC and you're trying to play nice with regulators. And then on the other side, you've got Yang, who has tried to wave the crypto flag, but also be part of the establishment. I mean, he's run twice, you know, for president and and for mayor of New York, and I'm sure he'll run for something again. So, you know, definitely have a lot to ask him about the the crypto attitudes in D.C. Yeah, and I think his DAO is raising a lot of money. So what is Andrew Yang going to do with thousands of ETH in his pocket? This is going to be interesting. Yeah, it's great. Another person that we can pester to with our questions about DAOs, the potential and also the potential pitfalls and the limitations. So uh, we'll bring him on. Yang Gang. All right, Andrew Yang, GM, thanks for being here. Hey, guys. Thanks for having me. So really delighted to have you on. Let's just dive in. In some ways, you know, I think of you as like the OG crypto candidate. And now we've really seen the rise recently of pro-crypto politicians, or at least people who in their campaigns have made crypto a major part of their platform. You know, whether it's Eric Adams in New York, uh, you can look at Miami Mayor Francis Suarez. And I feel like recently, you know, for us at Decrypt, it's interesting to watch which crypto stories grab mainstream attention. And recently, sort of the rise of, say, the crypto mayor is how I think uh, the Times framed it, has obviously fascinated people. What do you make of this, the, the idea of, you know, more and more lawmakers and elected officials and politicians warming to crypto, while at the same time, we also have some prominent voices that are very much very, very skeptical still. I think it makes sense that mayors are some of the earlier adopters among public officials because mayors are very hungry for economic activity and jobs and companies headquartering themselves there. There are some things that mayors can do, but one reason why I've started Lobby 3 is that we know that the main activity is going to be emanating from Washington, D.C. in the next number of days and weeks. Fed chair Powell recently proclaimed as much. The Biden administration is expected to issue an executive order directing agencies to draft various regulations. And so I'm positive about uh, mayors, particularly Mayor Suarez, who's tried to make being pro-crypto a big part of their public policy. 
But I, I think the action is going to be in DC upcoming. Yeah, Andrew, it's Jeff here. Thrilled you joined us. Um, I'd like to get to you know uh, your new lobby project. You're down a second, but to begin, I want to start sort of at the beginning. Tell us the first time you encountered crypto. I was just starting my presidential run in 2018, and there were not that many people who were excited to hear from the marginal presidential candidate talking about universal basic income. But the big exception to that was the cryptocurrency world, where I was invited to speak at Consensus uh, that year. I spoke at a blockchain for good conference. And wow, was it like I just completely changed environments where you go from people being like, what, huh, to like, of course, and uh, how can we help? So that was the the first time I'd interacted in earnest with large groups of people from the cryptocurrency community. But I'd heard of Bitcoin in particular years earlier, and I had friends who were big advocates. Uh, I'll confess that when I was running for president, it wasn't it wasn't something that I, I personally engaged in, in part because I didn't want to seem like I was going to be talking my book, <laughs> if, if, if you know what I mean. But but one of the the things that brought us together was, in addition to the fact that in my experience, eighty to ninety percent of people in the cryptocurrency world were pro some version of UBI because I think they sensed that technology is going to be disruptive to the labor market and jobs. But I also built my campaign early on around this idea of social credits that could be used to reward and incentivize and reinforce different types of pro-social behaviors, particularly in a time when you're kind of seeing the fabric of a lot of communities disintegrate. And what's funny, guys, is my campaign manager essentially made me swear never to talk about them (laughs) because he said, look, you're already uh, kind of pushing people very far with the talk of automation and UBI. And then if you start introducing new currencies, you're going to lose, you know, 90% of of civilians. I wonder if he's still saying that. My guess would be probably not. But quick follow up, Andrew, how about like personally? I mean, do you own any Bitcoin or Ethereum or like what products did you interact with? You know, how did you discover it on a personal level? On on a personal level, I invested in a fund that is very, very active. And that's one of the ways I'd like to participate is like, because in part, because my my time and attention, frankly, it's kind of limited. So like, I know I'm not going to be tracking movements all the time. So I'm an LP in a fund that has been investing for the the last several years. Can you say which fund? Oh, gosh, can I? I have no idea. (laughs) (laughs) I don't either, actually. But transparency is good. Yeah, yeah, I'd be be doing them a favor, I guess. Uh, sure, it's the hustle fund. And that probably means that you don't necessarily know exactly which cryptocurrencies you hold if you just have a fund investing on your behalf in a basket. Uh, yeah, that's accurate. They could be switching holdings uh, you know, on any given day. It's really interesting when you talk about the concept of social credits, because what has developed in the NFT space, in some cases, is a form of that. You know, there's on one side the people that just think the rise of NFTs are stupid and they just kind of can't get there. But what I tell those folks is it's not just about, you know, a board ape profile picture. In many cases, the NFTs are tickets into a social club or a membership group. Uh, what do you make of the, the boom in NFTs? Well, I agree with you, Dan, that they can be used to signify different things. They can be a marker of membership in a community and carry various privileges. And so you can't generalize, I think. Our goal is to take advantage of the community building aspects of NFTs and make it so that Lobby 3 is a thriving community of people that want to see a reasonable balance in terms of the regulations that, that come out of DC. There, There is intrinsic value in some of these NFTs, to be sure, where if you have it, you can get into certain places. You can 
access certain experiences that you wouldn't be able to otherwise. And then there are others that are are purely artistic. To me, it was always obvious that NFTs would have value just because art has value. And more and more of our lives are playing out online in the metaverse than they are in, in real life. I mean, the, the fact is, if I change my Twitter profile, it's going to be seen by vastly more people than if I hang a painting in my room. And so if if one of them is worth something, then the other logically should be too, in my mind. Let's talk about Lobby 3. You've been patient with us. NFTs are a good segue since a lot of the more interesting DAOs now are using NFTs like for fundraising. But give us uh, the elevator pitch for this DAO that, that you've started. If you look at the uncertainty around Web3, one of the single biggest causes is the regulatory and taxation treatment that DC is going to be issuing over the next number of days and weeks. We had a glimpse of this when the broker-dealer language came out during the infrastructure package. And then people were like, what? Wait, what? (laughs) There was like a massive flurry of activity. Uh, I think that these rules are coming down the pike and the the days of folks saying, hey, there there shouldn't be any regulation in the space are ending. And so then the question is, what will the rules be? Will they be intelligent guardrails that help manage the risks and frankly mainstream some aspects of Web3? Or will they be unmindful of the positive side of the ledger in terms of innovation, jobs, uh, technological developments, uh, and push a lot of the stuff offshore? And no one's quite sure where it's going to land, but the value difference is so immense that it it seems to me to be common sense to try to paint a broader, more holistic, more accurate picture of the community, the uses of the technology, so that the regulations fall somewhere on the, as a friend of mine put it, the non-insane realm. (laughs) And if you think about the value gap between intelligent, well-balanced rules and regulations and overly heavy-handed and onerous ones. I mean, gosh, if you had to put a number on that value difference, I mean, it's it's enormous. But it's enormous not just in terms of math. It's enormous in terms of people's capacity to build next-generation offerings and inclusionary financial services and a lot of other things that could really make a difference in people's lives. So if you think that's the situation and you think you should do something about it, then and you're me, you're Andrew Yang, then you're like, hey, I actually have some experience in influencing policy and I have some friends in DC. So let's put together a community. And then the next logical thing is, well, of course, if you're going to be doing this on behalf of Web3, then you'd be silly not to use Web3 tools like NFTs and a DAO to help activate people and give people a true voice and sense of leadership and ownership, which is, I think, exactly what a lot of people would want to see if we're going to take this case intelligently to to Washington. Uh, Yeah, I love that. I mean, I think, Andrew, to your credit, you've always been a little ahead of the curve in terms of technology and ideas. But I'd like to drill down a bit onto what Lobby 3 does exactly, because DAOs are, you know, this new and very promising, interesting sort of new form of political organization. However, you know, they're also prone to, you know, chaos and anarchy and tyrants and things like that. So you're someone who cares about governance. How exactly is this DAO going to be run, you know, to ensure it's effective, people participate, 
and what's it going to do? I mean, is it going to donate money to candidates? Is it going to invite people to like live streams to meet them in the DAO? So just kind of give us some specifics on what Lob- Lobby 3 is going to do day to day. Sure thing. So, so first, there is an inside and an outside strategy. And the bulk of the funds are going to go to professional advocates and lobbying organizations in Washington, D.C., because we think that there's no substitute for folks walking into people's offices and meeting them where they are and being able to speak their language and guide them in a way that's going to be positive and politically helpful to the to the folks that are drafting rules and trying to figure out where they come down on how Web3 should be regulated. Then the outside game is going to be up to members of the DAO. We will have governance and some guidance, but to your question, Jeff, there are going to be meet and greets with public officials, with potentially even regulators, that there'll be a chance for people to air out what they would like to see in terms of policy treatment. People can talk about individuals to spotlight to help break up the misconceptions of who's benefiting from Web3. I'll just throw out two use cases that I found compelling. There's a company in Texas that is securing patient medical data on the blockchain in a way that the patients can just access and be able to make use of when they need it without having to store it, frankly, in like, you know, a a kind of conventional uh, electronic medical record. We all know artists who are living in their cars two years ago who now are making very, very significant livings and in some cases uh, buying and owning homes. And many of these artists now happily are from underrepresented groups. You know, now that's not a story that you're seeing a lot of in DC. So the DAO can help energize both the individuals and the campaigns that we're going to need in order to have a different popular voice speaking on behalf of the Web3 community to let people know what the truth is in terms of the myriad uses for this technology that are not, frankly, the ones that you see in the the scare pieces in the mainstream media about some of the more nefarious use cases. So, Andrew, if people want to get involved, is it as simple as just joining the DAO? Is it a completely open group? And I guess I'd also ask, you know, is there some framing that you've thought about where you don't necessarily want getting involved in this DAO to equate to supporting Andrew Yang, the political candidate, although I imagine at some point it might. Uh, yeah, it's all just about trying to to become a voice for Web3. And so joining the DAO, you can do so by minting an NFT, join the Discord. And a lot of it's going to be up to individuals. As you, you know, that there are people who invest a lot of time and energy and then uh, kind of ha- have more influence. And then some other people will buy the NFT and hope it appreciates in value. And, you know, <laughs> and, yeah. and that's totally fine too. We welcome all types of involvement, but this will only work if people feel like they they can play a significant role if that's what they want, because a lot of these folks are exactly the kind of people that we need to connect to to the decision makers in DC. And a lot of people in the DAO also are just going to know more about uses and the developments since Web3 moves so quickly. Yeah, it really does. And I mean, what I'm really asking too, like Jeff and I talk about this a lot, but the promise of DAOs and the potential, but also the limitations. You know, there are people out there who think DAOs are the new company. It's going to replace companies. I'm I'm pretty skeptical on that because of, you know, the problems sometimes with 
you know, it being leaderless or assigning certain roles. I mean, in some cases you do need certain leaders or you do need a hierarchy, but it's really interesting how you're blending kind of the, the function of DAOs with then the real world lobbying. You know, I like what you said about at the end of the day, we can, we can use crypto and NFTs in the, in the first stage, but then, you know, you need people, human beings in a room talking face to face with other human beings. So I, I guess I'm interested just a little more on what you think DAOs can do, whether you've watched the recent examples, you know, Jeff alluded to some of the achievements. Constitution DAO raised a bunch of money, but ultimately failed to get the physical. It didn't thing get that, that constitution. That's <laughs> fine. <laughs> close, close. But what do you think? Uh, I, I'm excited about the potential of DAOs, and in, in, in part because they just make sense to me. You know what I mean? Like having a decentralized autonomous organization using Web three tools seems like a phenomenal way to amass a ton of insight and time and energy and then have it be directed in a way that the community itself decides. I'm going to suggest that this could be, if not the future of corporations, which you suggested, Dan, as as, uh, something, but it it could be a feature of a 21st century democracy to a higher level. You could have liquid democracy where people are assigning their voting rights and certain issues to, to other people who might have more expertise or, or more time. I mean, right now, uh, our current democratic institutions are floundering in part because they're not truly representative in a lot of respects. And I can go into this for fun, but you know, 80 to 90% of Americans are effectively disenfranchised in their congressional races because 90% of the districts are safe seats. They're either safely Democratic or safely Republican. And so they get decided effectively by the 10 to 15% most partisan voters in those districts and communities. I mean, that that's not a, an intelligent system that if you if you want people to be engaged and energized. So a DAO, I'm going to suggest, is going to be more effective than, <laughs> than what we think of as our current voting system if you want to enact the will of the people so uh, I'm excited to see what people do with the DAO. Keeping in mind, Dan, though, to your to, to your point or what I'd said earlier is that it is meant to be a complement to the traditional activities that we're going to be engaged in in, in D.C. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com people today. Andrew, I'd like to follow that again with some press you for some more specifics. A big part of DAOs and crypto and politics is money. I know people often refer to DAOs as like a community with a bank account. So does this one have a bank account? You know, do you have a bunch of kind of ETH in the DAO's pocket that you're going to slosh around? Is the DC political infrastructure built for that? Are you going to raise money through ETH? So just tell me, let's follow the money here. How's that work? Oh, yeah, happy to. And you could go to lobby3.io and it's all spelled out. So there are three tiers. Tier one is 0.07 ETH. We wanted to make it relatively accessible. Uh, It's time bound, so we didn't cap the quantity. And then tier two, it's an 
advocate, and that's one ETH. Uh, so those are more significant. And there is a, a quantity on that in the low thousands. Now, there's also a tier three, which is institutions and individuals who want to be significant players. And because, to your point, Jeff, you need resources to mount a, a substantial lobbying effort, that's at 40 ETH plus. So will there be money or funds or ETH or uh, you know resources in the DAO? Yes, there will be. And so the folks who are part of the DAO will be making resource allocation decisions. It could be where would we want to direct a messaging campaign? It could be where do we want to adopt an anti-poverty pilot or implementation? There, there are different decisions that one can make. Uh, again, though, the bulk of the funds... Uh, are going to, and when I say the bulk, you know, it's like, let's say like 60 to 70% are going to go to folks who are going to be walking into office buildings in DC. And we have some very concrete ideas as to what is happening in DC that I can share. So right now, the prevailing emotional response to Web3 is confusion coupled with skepticism and dubiousness. <laughs> And so a couple of numbers I like to throw out there. The average U.S. senator is 64 years old. The average member of Congress is 58 or so. So, and, you know, and so half are older, all the leadership are older. And so if you ask someone about Web3, they're not going to know what you're talking about. And their staffers probably won't either. So uh, at this point, the, the members are looking around saying, where are we on this to the policy person? And the policy person's like, I'm not quite sure. Like, you know, like, it, does this need to become a top priority for me? So what we're going to be doing in D.C. is going to be trying to inform both these members and their staffers about the use, uses and the utility and the jobs and the energy and also what risks they should legitimately be concerned about. Now, one of the things we've heard about from some members uh, is that they're resistant to what they call corporate crypto lobbyists. <laughs> like they, they, they don't want that group to be their primary source of information on this. And so the question is like, what's another source of information that we can use to provide them with the, the answers to the questions that they have right now? And one possibility is bipartisan policy think tanks that do exist in DC. We have talked to some of them and we've said, Hey, where are you on? Web3 or crypto. And then they say, still figuring it out. Uh, mm. So can you help them land in a reasonable place and then have them become reliable sources of information for various members and guide policy in a positive direction? Uh, that's one prong of our plan. I've got a quick question about the mechanics, Andrew. So this all seems like very good ideas, and you want to start you know, giving out ETH to preferred groups, causes, candidates. But I get the impression a lot of people in D.C. Well, don't Well, I just want to wallet. say, too, like we're not actually going to be supporting candidates directly out of Lobby 3. We're just trying to make a positive case for the technology in, in D.C. Got it. But if you've got sort of thousands of ETH in your kitty uh, and you want to give it out, how many people in D.C. actually have a crypto wallet? I wonder if that might be a good early initiative. Mm. Let's get everyone in D.C. to have a crypto wallet. Well, that, that's good fun, Jeff. I'm sure the number is vanishingly small. The, the number might be a bit higher among some scrappy upstart candidates out there who are trying to compete and you know make a credible challenge. So uh, the, the organizations we'll be working with, I mean, you know, uh, it, we're, we're going to be doing things the old fashioned way. And then hopefully some things that are innovative and new uh, on the side. And, you know, I was going to actually ask Andrew, like, 
it's just funny to hear you describe the scene in DC because I think it confirms a lot of the fears that a lot of crypto people have, which is, you know, the the view becomes reactionary because they can't kind of take the time to understand it. So first you have to sort of educate and then maybe you can see how the regulating part goes. But you said something earlier that I thought was interesting that, you know, the the people who want there to be no regulation of this space, that that's going away. I think there still are probably some people who hope, but they're, it's futile, that regulators will stay away. And that's maybe why they first got into this. You know, certain OGs, a lot of libertarians from the beginning, they liked crypto because it was outside government. It wasn't being regulated. Now, to me, there's a really interesting push and pull happening where you have certain mainstream types, whether it's Wall Street investors, hedge fund types who now have warmed up to investing in crypto you know, companies like Coinbase that are trying to do things above board and play nice with regulators who are welcoming regulation in the space, but maybe you can regulate it the way we hope. And then there's still the people who are just kind of like hoping that lawmakers will go away. And they see some things that say Elizabeth Warren has said, or Janet Yellen, that just look like very reactionary to crypto. Do you think that these kind of, that there can be a middle ground or that there's going to be a a happy solution? I know everyone has a different definition of what happy solution would be. But it sounds like right now, it's almost like you can't quite lead with crypto in DC. Well, uh, the case I'm making is that this can be a powerful force to alleviate poverty for millions of of people in America. And that's a very benign case. Uh, You know, that's not a case you hear being talked about a whole lot. For that third group you described, Dan, I think the, the days of being off of DC's uh, menu or radar screen are very, very quickly coming to an end. So then the, the question is, like, wh- what are the rules going to look like? There have been some statements from people that indicate hostility or negative attitude. Uh, I have it on reasonably good authority that that attitude is shared by <laughs> a variety of people within the Treasury Department and uh, the SEC. If you just let nature take its course, I'm going to suggest that the result might be very, very unfriendly. And I think that that's the default course that we're on. It's one reason why I feel so strongly that what Lobby 3 is doing is important and timely. You know, we have no time to waste, truly. And some of the things I'd like to be able to demonstrate to regulators and lawmakers take a little bit of time. So we we have to get a move on. But this this train is coming. You know, it's just the, the question is, what what's the cargo, <laughs> I, I suppose, to, to use that metaphor? Yeah, this actually kind of brings us back to Andrew Yang. You know, you made quite a splash a couple of years ago as a, you know, front-ranked presidential candidate for a while, but you ran as a Democrat. And this is something Dan and I have explored a lot in that the sort of hostility of the elder ranks of the Democratic Party reflected in the agencies, reflected in people like Elizabeth Warren. But conversely, you know, there's young Democrats like uh, Richie Torres in the Bronx, who's making the same arguments you are. Crypto can help people. Crypto can be good. It can alleviate poverty. But, you know, I think we know who's in charge of that party. And I'm kind of wondering, where does this leave Andrew Yang? Are you still kind of card-carrying Democrat? Or are you going to fly an independent flag or, you know, what's next? Oh, I, I declared myself a political independent a number of months ago. And I have to say, I really enjoyed it. It's funny. I didn't know it was going to be profound, but you actually do see things differently when you leave one club. And in my case, start another. I started the forward party to provide a third party alternative. And some of the staunchest supporters of the forward party have been from the crypto community, which I'm, I'm very grateful for. 
But I think your description is pretty apt, Jeff, where it's funny. And this is the the case that Richie and I and others will be making. It's like, look, if you're a Democrat and you want financial access, you want different types of people to be able to use technological tools to improve their life. You want to disintermediate giant tech companies, you know, like the, you want competition. These are things that a lot of Democrats say that they want and that Web3 can help provide. But because of a lack of understanding or skepticism or something, they, there's like, oh, that, that's not what we mean by it. It's like, well, it can be what you mean by it. <laughs> and, and one of the the big goals we should have is to avoid the politicization of Web3 where one party is for it and one party is against it. That's actually a very bad way to get good things done. What, what you want to do is shuffle the political dynamics so that there are people in both parties that benefit from it, that see their constituencies benefit from it, and go from there. I think it's doable, but it, it's going to be like a challenge we have to undertake immediately. It's really interesting to hear you talk about, almost it sounds like the relief of leaving the Democratic Party. I wanted to ask you, and it's a good segue, when people now today in 2022 say Yang Gang, what does that signify now? I mean, do you think that in many cases that means they're into crypto? Does it just mean they like you? Do you think it means that they've you know looked into the, the forward party and what it stands for? I would say Yang Gang is internet natives who are excited about my presidential campaign, many of whom are very active in Web3. Not all of whom, but but many of whom. That that's what I think the Yang Gang is, and uh, I hope that people see that we're we're still pursuing the same vision. It's just that you know the 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 path to do so doesn't necessarily flow through one political party or another. In a time when you have these really really antiquated systems holding us back, whether that's the political system and the two-party system, which really makes no sense on the face of it. I mean, if you think about it, like, would, would anyone design a system with two parties? <laughs> where, 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 like, you have, literally, that's like a recipe for polarization and gridlock and eventual conflict. I mean, there's a reason why no other country does it this way. I mean, if you look around the world, you know, the UK has five parties, Germany has seven, Sweden has eight. Don't get me started. Anyway, um, uh, or or you can look at let's say, a really consolidated financial system where there are a few massive players and then they, they control the bulk of the markets uh, for certain types of securities and whatnot. They're market makers for, for a lot of stuff. Or you could look at tech where you have a few behemoth tech companies that, that, that mm -hmm. control many aspects of our waking lives. I mean, you can see these parallels playing out uh, in, in different respects and one of the reasons why I think that Yang Gang was excited about me was that it's like, okay, here's a person who's coming from outside the system and wants to do things differently. I, I think that's something that resonates very strongly with a lot of people who are into crypto and, and Web3 technologies. Yeah, turning to a serious topic for a sec, Andrew, um, the conflict in Ukraine right now, there's been a lot of headlines about the role of crypto, you know, perhaps in supporting the Ukrainians, but also, you know, concern, perhaps somewhat legitimate about the Russians using, you know, crypto to undermine sanctions. I know a lot of the crypto people disagree with that notion, but, you know, what are you seeing, you know, on the kind of foreign policy stage of the role of crypto and how the Biden administration is doing there? Well, I, I think that Russians being able to evade sanctions is going to be a hot topic and is front and center. I, I believe that was part of Jerome Powell's remarks recently 
you can frame the positive case, which is, look, there are Ukrainians who are benefiting directly from having donations uh, sent to them in crypto that they're able to access when they're nowhere near their residence and they're, you know, they're in another country. So you're seeing both the good and the bad right now playing out because of the Russian invasion of, of Ukraine. Unfortunately, we're in a time when headlines chase the bad more than the good. Yeah, that's that's exactly right. And it often, you know, from our perspective at Decrypt, where we try to be kind of aggressively neutral, we, we like to say we cover the good, the bad, and the ugly of crypto. Very often it takes an event like this, a global or geopolitical event, to see a large volume of mainstream crypto coverage, but also some places covering it in a way that fits the viewpoint they already have. You know, like you're either cherry picking and focusing on the fact that Russia could use crypto to avoid sanctions rather than look how much money Ukrainians have raised via crypto and what it has allowed. So it is interesting. I mean, uh, as Jeff wrote in a, a pretty good recent column, the tech itself is agnostic. You know, it can be used yeah. for, for good or for ill. Yeah, it, it's true. And, it, and with the right regulations, maybe we can accentuate the positive and mitigate some of the negative. But But I will suggest that if you look at mainstream press treatment, People listening to this or watching this probably have their own ratio, but what do you think the negative to positive coverage ratio is at a mainstream press where crypto is concerned? It's a good question. I know. I, I think it it's seems certainly to not one to one. You negative. know what I mean? <laughs> like right. like it, it, it's some, you know, it, it's some number above five to one. Right. <laughs> well, I always say, you know, I used to say like there for many years because both Jeff and I have been writing about Bitcoin since nearly the very beginning. 2011 or 2012 for both of us. But for so many years, many, many outlets would only cover it when it was, it tanked, you know, Bitcoin tanks 10%. And then it's like, they didn't do the story when it then bounced back. Totally. Right. Let's end on something fun. We talked a little bit about how you first, you know, discovered crypto. But one thing I'm I'm not sure we asked and I'm interested in is uh, just day to day, what excites and interests you most within Web3 and crypto right now? You know, is there either an NFT you own and you think the community's cool? Is it, you know, I, I, I can't imagine you're spending time day to day like on Uniswap, you know, but but what other, you know, what either platforms or clubs or communities within the crypto space do you watch and do you try to, you know, participate in and take note of? Well, I, I get really excited about the potential of Web3 technologies to impact people's lives in the real world, whether that's getting people access to financial resources that they that they wouldn't have had otherwise like you know I I did an event with Axie Infinity the other day and there are like some some people that are playing to earn in a way that wouldn't have been possible before whether it's something like Hive Mapper where that you're able to provide detailed street maps of places that right now Google won't send a half million dollar vehicle to various rural areas or underserved areas I mean I I like things that kind of fill in these gaps and that's what Web3 can do. It's why I'm so excited about trying to make the case for the potential of this to improve people's lives in the real world. As you suggest, Dan, I'm not really, uh, you know, like uh, my, my, my time is sort of, you know, I'm like hustling. And, and one of the things I'm hustling on right now is to try to make Lobby3 DAO this vibrant, exciting community of people who want to make the same positive case the Mint is open right now. People are joining all the time. Uh, let's do it together because the fact is, if we do nothing, then rules are going to be written that affect our lives 
without us being anywhere near that table. Uh, and that's not the way you want it to go down. Yeah. Andrew, I remember when you wore that big math button on the presidential debate, you've always kind of got a knack for doing things a little different and being first. So I think with this, uh, you know, first political DAO, first DC DAO, I think it's really innovative. I think it's really interesting. So I'll give you a big thank you for joining us on the show and um, good luck in your next steps. Yeah. Thank you guys. Appreciate your great work as well. Yeah. Maybe I'll see you in DC. Metaverse takes DC, that kind of thing. <laughs> Hope so. We'll, we're going to, instead of a march, we'll do a float. <laughs> we're going to get the I new Crypt it. hat into your rotation. This has been GM from Decrypt. I'm Dan Roberts. And I'm Jeff Roberts. GM is a Decrypt podcast produced by Red Rock Music. Our executive producer is Red Yoakum. Our associate producer is Emma Martins. And our audio engineer is Enrique Inahosa. For more from Decrypt, go to decrypt.co or download our mobile app. Subscribe and review us wherever you listen, and we'll meet you back here next time for more crypto conversation. GM. GM.